Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. Our essay this week is called Favorite Films of 2017. It's posted for Sunday, January 7th, 2018. Happy New Year from Journey with Jesus. In his book, Sculpting in Time, the Russian filmmaker Andrei Tarkovsky says that the allotted function of art is not, as is often assumed, to put across ideas, to propagate thoughts, to serve as an example. Rather, the aim of art is to prepare a person for death, to plow and harrow his soul, rendering it capable of turning to good. Well, in the spirit of Tarkovsky, here are 10 films from our 2017 reviews that plowed my soul. And don't forget, you can search Journey with Jesus' 750 film reviews from 106 countries by title or by country. Just use the drop-down menu under Film at the top of any page. Here in alphabetical order are my 10 favorite films of 2017. Number one, The Eagle Huntress from Kazakhstan. This 90-minute documentary premiered at the 2016 Sundance Film Festival. It tells the story of a rosy-cheeked 13-year-old Kazakh girl named Ashopan Nurgayev, who trained to become the first female falconer in 12 generations of her family history. In the first part of the film, she captures and then trains an eaglet, and then enters the annual Golden Eagle Festival as the youngest participant and first ever female handler among 70 competitors. And then in the second part of the film with her father, she braves the frigid all-time mountain winter to take her eagle fox hunting. As you might imagine, this film works well at several levels. In featuring the nomadic family life of Kazakh herders in western Mongolia, it's an ethnographic delight. It's also a science and nature film. Drone cameras capture the spectacular scenery. The movie is also a tender father-daughter story. Most of all, this is a coming-of-age story that's brimming with female empowerment despite the grumbling of the culturally conservative men. The Eagle Huntress. Fire at Sea from Italy. Gianfranco Rossi's strange new movie, which won the top prize at the 2016 Berlin Film Festival, actually tells two stories that are, by design, tragically unrelated. The documentary film is set among the refugee crisis on Lampedusa, a tiny Italian island just eight miles square, and that sits only 70 miles from the north coast of Africa. In the last 20 years, 400,000 migrants have landed on Lampedusa, fleeing war, poverty, and ethnic strife. About 15,000 people have died trying. But in the first story, you would never know this. The youngster Samuel plays with his slingshot and firecracker, fishes with his dad, and goes to school. But then there's the physician Pietro Bartolo, who treats the newly arrived refugees. 
He's the voice of conscience and compassion. In between Samuel and Bartolo are the immigrants. Whereas questions about policy are admittedly complex, when it comes to the people he treats, Bartolo has a message for all of us. He says, it's the duty of every human being to help these people. Number three from Mozambique, Gorongosa Park, Rebirth of Paradise. At over a million acres, the Gorongosa National Park in Mozambique is one of the largest and richest ecosystems on Earth. That is, until the country's decades of civil war almost destroyed it all. The elephant population crashed from 4,000 to 400, the lions from 200 to single digit. This PBS nature documentary tells the remarkable story of the 20-year Gorongosa Restoration Project. The Emmy Award-winning wildlife cameraman Bob Poole lived and worked in Gorongosa for two years. As you would expect, the cinematography is incredible and the stories are inspirational. The documentary consists of six episodes on two DVDs, with each episode about one hour long. I got my copy of this movie at the public library. Number four, I think, I Am Not Your Negro. When James Baldwin died in 1987, he left behind an unfinished 30-page manuscript called Remember the House that he had discussed with his literary agent. The book project was to be Baldwin's deeply personal reflections on three of his friends who had been assassinated, Medgar Evers, Malcolm X, and Martin Luther King Jr., as a way to reflect on race relations in America. The film director Raoul Peck brings this manuscript to life by using only Baldwin's own words, narrated either by Samuel L. Jackson or, in fact, Baldwin himself. The story of America is the story of the Negro, said Baldwin, and it's not a pretty story. Letters from Baghdad, from Iraq. This documentary tells the fascinating story of the remarkable Gertrude Bell, 1868-1926, the female Lawrence of Arabia. Born into a home that looks like Downton Abbey, she became an Oxford graduate, writer, traveler, ethnographer, mountaineer, political administrator, archaeologist, explorer, cartographer, linguist, Arabist, and possible spy. She's best remembered for her influence in founding the state of Iraq after World War I. Maldi, 2017, from Canada. This wildly improbable love story is a tearjerker in the best sense of the word. 
It's a dramatization of the life of Maud Dowley, 1903-1970, of Nova Scotia, one of Canada's best-known folk artists, and her marriage to Everett Lewis, an illiterate and violent oaf who was an orphan, fish peddler, seller of chopped wood, and collector of junk. The misanthropic Lewis lived on the edge of town in a tiny shack. In real life, it was only 10 feet by 12 feet, and very much on the edge of society. When he placed an ad for live-in domestic help, Maudi replied, The rest, as they say, is history. And so two deeply wounded people start off awkwardly, to say the least, but find and make a deeply human love together. Then, of course, there is Moonlight. This second feature film by the writer-director Barry Jenkins premiered at the Telluride Festival in 2016. Since then, reviews, both popular and professional, have been off the charts. The tomato meter, for example, clicks in at 98%. The power of the film rests in its ability to make us empathize at a deeply human level with a protagonist with whom we have almost nothing in common. Chiron is black and gay. He's from a rough neighborhood in Miami and has a mother who's a crackhead. His only male role model, and it's a positive role model, is a dope dealer named Juan. School is a place of physical and emotional abuse. Chiron is a deeply withdrawn little boy trying to figure out who he is and where he fits in the world. The movie shows three snapshots in his life as a little boy, as a lanky teenager, and then as an adult. Next movie, Still Life. This movie is from England, 2013. I watched it at the suggestion of a Journey with Jesus reader. Uberto Pasolini wrote and directed this poignant story about a low-level functionary in the British bureaucracy of South London. John May is a caseworker whose job is to find the next of kin for people who have died alone. That's a strange job you've got, all those people, says one person, to which May responds, I love my work. And he does. In the rare times that he's successful, and when families do not refuse assistance, as his bureaucratic form says, he will return personal effects that he has lovingly gathered. And when those who died lonely and alone are still left alone after death, May organizes their funerals, writes their eulogies, attends their burials, and spreads their ashes. The only person present in these sacred moments, except for the priest or the gravedigger. May lives alone and for supper plops a tin of tuna onto a plate, after which he tenderly looks through a scrapbook of photos that he's made of those on whom he bestowed such dignity. This being a bureaucracy, May's job is what they call amalgamated, and so he's put out of work. 
but not before he begs his boss to finish one last case pertaining to the notorious Billy Stoke. I watch Still Life on Amazon Streaming. Movie number nine, The Vietnam War, 2017. This epic documentary by Ken Burns and Lynn Novick, all 18 hours and 10 episodes, took 10 years and $30 million to make. It debuted on PBS in September 2017. The movie begins at the beginning so long ago in 1858 when the French invaded Vietnam. The movie interviews almost 80 people, Americans and Vietnamese, soldiers, civilians, those who were for and those who were against the war. The musical soundtrack combined with the archival footage is powerfully evocative for those who lived through those years. The lessons here are many and tragic. The myth of American exceptionalism, the lethal combination of hubris and ignorance, and the knowledge of hindsight that reveals a misreading of history. To watch the series on streaming video, go to the pbs.org website. And finally, from the year 2016, a film called The White Helmets. This film is from Syria. In the last five years, 400,000 people have been killed in the Syrian civil war, millions more displaced. This 40-minute documentary by Netflix features the volunteer group that works in areas where Russia and the Assad regime have bombed the country into apocalyptic oblivion. The White Helmets, or the Syrian Civil Defense, was founded in 2013. Their 2,900 volunteers work in 120 centers across the country as first responders. The film interviews several of the volunteers who explain their work and includes horrifying cell phone footage of actual bombings that are followed by their emergency responses. Any human being, no matter who they are or what side they're on, explains one helmet, one white helmet, if they need our help, it's our duty to help them. All lives are precious and valuable. Ten favorite films from 2017. For books this week, I review a book that just might have made my best books list from last week. It's by Roxanne Gay. It's called Hunger, A Memoir of My Body. New York, HarperCollins, 2017, 306 pages. This memoir by the feminist Roxanne Gay doesn't offer any happy ending or hidden insights. But what it does do is tell a painful story that is shorn of all pretense and pretending. 
I've cut myself wide open, writes Gay. I am exposed. These are the ugliest, weakest, barest parts of me. Gay brings a rich mix of gifts to her task. Psychological self-awareness born of years of hard work. A nuanced emotional vocabulary. Fearless vulnerability. Brutal honesty. And remarkable writing skills. Those who are familiar with Roxanne Gay's high-profile media presence know that she is first of all fat, very fat, and not just obese, or even morbidly obese, but what is clinically called super morbidly obese. At her heaviest, Gay's six feet three inch body weighed 577 pounds what she calls a staggering and unfathomable number. How and why she got to this point, its costs and consequences are what drive her story. And as if fat shaming is not enough to bear, Gay also relates the trauma of being gang raped at the age of 12. Mixed together, those two have made for a very toxic brood. Contradictions abound. Despite her size, she is quote-unquote invisible in a culture that idolizes thinness. Sometimes her invisibility means protection and safety, but at other times it signals being ignored, dismissed, and derided. Sometimes Gay wants to disappear and be ignored. At other times she begs to be known. No one wants to be defined by the worst thing they ever experienced and so stereotyped. But on the other hand, that's the salient part of her story. Her past is over, but it's very much a continual presence and always will be. She bears her own responsibilities, but has endured experiences beyond her control. Gay's story also functions as a masterful piece of cultural criticism on fat phobia and sexual violence. There are riffs here on bulimia, tattoos, weight loss reality television, weight loss camps, every sort of diet you can imagine, therapy, smoking, sleep problems, personal trainers, and her own self-loathing that's exacerbated by our toxic cultural narratives about body image. The genius of Gay's private story is that it is nonetheless universal. In other words, we all have a deeply human need to receive and to give unconditional love. We all want to be accepted for our unedited selves to stop playing a role and to inhabit our true identity. And we are all called to love others who are different from us without making accusations and assumptions about them. Truly, you never know what a fellow human being might have experienced. Still, as Gay says at the end of the book, quote, it's scary trying to be yourself and hoping yourself is enough. It's scary believing that you, as you are, could ever be enough. Roxanne Gay, Hunger, 
a memoir of my body. For movies, this first week in 2018, I review a title called Almost Sunrise, 2017. This PBS documentary film is part of their Point of View series. It debuted at the Telluride Film Festival in May of 2016, was shown on PBS in November 2017, just a few weeks ago, and subsequently made available on the PBS website. It tells the stories of Tom Voss and Anthony Anderson, two veterans of the Iraq War who walked 2,700 miles in 155 days from Milwaukee to Los Angeles. This is not a film about the physical, emotional, or even psychological traumas of war, like PTSD, but, as we learn in the very first frame of the film, a pilgrimage in search of healing for the moral injuries of war. That is, what the film calls a wound to the soul, caused by participation in events that violate one's deeply held sense of right and wrong. The film draws upon interviews with family members, fellow vets, health care providers, along with graphic footage from Iraq. Remarkably, the movie ends at a Benedictine monastery in Colorado, where the Trappist monk Thomas Keating suggests the need for forgiveness of yourself and even of God. Almost Sunrise on the PBS website. And finally, as we approach the Christian celebration of Epiphany, we've posted a poem by Walter Brueggemann. It's called simply Epiphany. On Epiphany Day, we are still the people walking. We are still people in the dark. And the darkness looms large around us, beset as we are by fear, anxiety, brutality, violence, loss, a dozen alienations that we cannot marry, manage. We are, we could be, people of your light. So we pray for the light of your glorious presence as we wait for your appearing. We pray for the light of your wondrous grace as we exhaust our coping capacity. We pray for your gift of newness that will override our weariness. We pray that we may see and know and hear and trust in your good rule. That we may have energy, courage, and freedom to enact your rule through the demands of this day. We submit our day to you and to your rule with deep joy and high hope. That's Epiphany. You can find it on our website by Walter Brueggemann. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for this first Sunday in 2018, January 7th. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.